Well, you had your uh, icon up with the boat behind you, and I'm going, boy, I, <laughs> I'm really jealous, you know. I know, isn't that an amazing boat? It's a, it was an all wooden um, expedition ship that I was on in Indonesia. So it's it's based on their traditional um, style of building, and and you know when you cross, when you do a crossing, you know, and you're sleeping on the boat. Um, so it's it's moving all night. It just like there's an orchestra of sound. It's so cool. Today on the Women Mind the Water podcast, I'm speaking with Pam Longabart. Pam is a conceptual artist whose work addresses the relationship between humans and the natural world. She has exhibited on a global scale, which is appropriate since her Drifters project explores the global nature of ocean plastics. The Women Mind the Water podcast engages artists in conversation about their work and explores their connection with the ocean. Through these stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. Our guest today is Pam Longobardi. Pam is Regents Professor and Distinguished Professor of Art at Georgia State University. Among her many accomplishments, Pam won the prestigious Hutchkins Prize, one of the largest single prizes ever given to a North American artist. After discovering an extensive amount of plastic debris on the remote shores of Hawaii in 2005, Pam has collected and utilized cast-to-shore plastic as the primary material for her Drifters artwork project. Pam says that plastic objects are the cultural archaeology of our time and that these materials represent how humans are remaking the world because of them. Thank you for joining me on the Women Mind the Water podcast. I am most interested to talk with you about your Drifters project. On an earlier podcast, I talked with Justina Salnikova, a San Francisco-based artist who creates large animal sculptures from plastic waste collected from the city's waste stream. So I guess you are not alone as an artist in using recycled plastic to make a statement. However, I wonder if you aren't unique because you travel around the world, much like the plastic in the ocean, to identify sites from which to create an installation. Well, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I love the title, Women Minding the Water, because I do feel like we're in the middle of a, a kind of um, transformative moment and that uh, is the one time right now. I think we are coming to that realization that uh, roles that have been um, suppressed in terms of, of what women's power can actually do is, uh, you know, is changing. And I'm, I'm just uh, thrilled to be alive at this moment. Um, yeah. So I do work on a global scale and um, the plastic of course is a global problem. Um, the Drifters Project, the name actually, I think, refers to myself in a way as well. Um, I, I kind of consider myself a drifter in some regard. And um, and so, yeah, I, I work with this material. And um, I wanted to mention that I really feel like there is um, something particular about what we do with this material that... Uh, you know, it, it has a lot of different ramifications. So to start with, I, um, I really feel like we don't understand this material and we don't even see it because it's too ubiquitous in our life. It's 
we are literally surrounded by it uh, every moment of every day. And um, I don't think that there's probably just a rare handful of humans on earth that have not in some way or form touched or been uh, in contact with plastic. So um, that's the first part of how we don't understand it. The second part is, of course, what happens to it after we uh, finish using it. And that's where my work comes in. Um, I, I'm very interested in the plastic that has gone off on a journey through the natural world, through the currents of the ocean, through the um, forces of nature that might deform it like a lava flow, um, melting it, um, you know, as it passes the, the big island of Hawaii, or oh, how it goes into uh, a creature's stomach and then becomes regurgitated out. So this plastic gets changed in that process, and that's when it becomes a drifter. It is now um, a messenger. It's something that's coming back to tell us something. And what I think it's telling us is that we need to pay attention and that the ocean is sending us a message through this material. So I believe it was a large amount of plastic that washed up on a remote shore in Hawaii that inspired you to create your first installation. Did you create that on the shore or did you create it elsewhere? Uh, I actually did um, it not on the shore, but I do a lot of work on site. And the first piece that I made was uh, a big uh, form, a kind of spider web form made from drift net and other collected plastics that were kind of suspended in the, in the web itself. And um, that was done in a, in, on a residency in um, the south point of the Big Island. So I was there on that residency when I first stumbled upon this material. And the work that I do on site, though, is I document it and I, I make forensic photographs of, you know, what I encounter because I really do feel like um, I'm witnessing a crime. It's a crime against the natural world. It's a crime against the non-human world. It's also a crime against the human world. Um, we are, you know, encountering daily uh, the the toxic nature of plastic and learning more and more about what it's doing to our bodies in addition to all the bodies of the creatures on earth that encounter it. So the, the things that I find on site, I photograph and I'm also learning. So that is something that's really another important part of my, my process. So when you created that first sculpture on a big Island of Hawaii, did you use the plastic you found on the beach or where did you gather the plastic for that first installation? Yeah, I, I dragged it right off the beach. Um, I got um, as much of the, the drift net, which is at that point called ghost net because it's, it's not, um, it's not being used for, you know, in the fishing industry, the way it's originally intended. It's now uh, set free and is wantonly killing um creatures they're still getting caught in it but it's not being harvested and they form these things called net balls which are an amazing object they're what i consider a sculpture made by the ocean and it it finds these different materials and then through the engine of the ocean the hydrodynamics of the the physical material of, of water it, it puts them together and knocks them together, and, and then the ocean vomits it out on the shore, very much like a, a, a cat throws up a hairball. It's, it's an attempt to get rid of it. And so 
um, when I found those big netballs, they weigh tons. They're huge. Um, I I could only cut pieces off and drag them back with me to the studio. And then I collected other objects, which I also suspended into the net. Can you describe for listeners what you mean by a forensic photo? Yeah. Um, Forensics are, you know, a term that are used in um, the discovery of crimes, Uh, you know, like when this person was shot, who shot them, what type of bullet was used, um, uh, et cetera. And there's there's a, a kind of interpretation of the forensics that I'm using, which is more like a forensic aesthetic. And so what I'm doing when I look at the photographs is, or look at the plastic that I find is I'm trying to determine where did it come from? Is there any readable language on that that I can, you know, track down the manufacturer? Can I guess what it is? Is it something I recognize or could I find it in a, a Google image search, for example? Um, who bit it? What kind of creatures have left their teeth marks on it as they try to test it for food? Who is now living on it? What what ocean creatures have uh, colonized it and made it um, a floating colony of coral and bryozoans and algae and you know baby crabs and small fish they're all collecting around these pieces of plastic in the ocean because they they sort of function as a as a protection in a way um, they can hide under them if they're small and then they they're not visible to other prey so i'm I'm looking at this and I want to learn as much as possible from the material and then I want to remove it. And so the forensic part of it is to show it in sight, to show people where this stuff we use every day ends up and, and why it's the disaster at the scale that it is. How do you pick the sites? Uh, how do you, uh, you know, do you follow ocean currents itself or do you have people call you and say you really ought to come and look? How do you determine where you're going to go? And that's a great question. Um, all of those I do. I look, I look a lot on um, Google Earth, and I look on um, NOAA sites that have the buoys. And you know, I, I'm a surfer, so it's something that surfers do. They want to find out where there's going to be a swell, where they could catch waves. And um, um, those also tend to be the places that um, are have higher impact in terms of um, waves hitting the shores. And so they tend to be the places that plastic also collects. So um, that's one way. Uh, another way is um, people do let me know they've seen, you know, stuff somewhere and I should try to go there. Um, oftentimes I get invited on expeditions, which um, I'm part of Oceanic Society. I'm their artist in nature. And so um, that's been one of the most amazing um, things that have come out of doing this work is that I've been able to go on expeditions with naturalists, biologists, uh, other kinds of scientists, artists, sometimes policymakers, and we've started doing a series of uh, plastic pollution expeditions where we're, we're going to different locations that are very inundated, particularly Indonesia so far. Um, we've also gone to, um, uh, I've gone uh, as part of Oceanic to Belize and to Panama. Um, the expeditions were also uh, in Palau. So um, different locations that were, they're highly impacted and we're attempting to support work on the ground 
uh, of, of people that live in those areas and highlight the, the good work that's already happening there and help them in any way, um, just at least to shine a light on their problem and how they're addressing it. So would you tell me a story about one of your installations and describe the thought process in picking the location, who was involved in the project and how the project unfolded? Sure. Um, I, uh, I think I'd like to talk about a piece that I did um, shortly after the, the Gulf uh, Deepwater Horizon disaster the, you know, also known as the BP quote, oil spill, which is a diminutive term. It's not a spill. It was a disaster. And we need to acknowledge the, you know, the, the scope of it with the terminology that really addresses what happened. So this piece, um, this piece was uh, called The Crime of Willful Neglect for BP. And it was a large um, droplet shape that was 12 feet tall and about eight feet across. And the way I do my installations is I mount individual pieces of plastic that have been um, only cleaned. They have not been changed in any other way um, from when I find them originally. Um, And I mount them on specimen pins and then I I map them uh, into a composition on the wall and then they're directly attached to the wall. So this this composition of the droplet had over 500 elements and was 12 feet tall. And, well, the Gulf of Mexico is very close to my heart. It's kind of my home beach. My sister lives there. I got married on that beach. Um, I've been there so many times. And when that happened, it changed that whole ecosystem. And it changed the economy. And it changed the people there. And... You won't hear much about that because BP, uh, you know, in in order to sort of make their payments and and try to clean up that part of their mess, they made all the people there sign a a gag order where they can't talk about this anymore. And um, to me, that's just one aspect of this crime that I don't feel has been ever fully um, compensated. And the the crime that I think... uh, really is that it was willful neglect. They knew that they didn't really know what was going on to the extent that they should have. They weren't paying attention. And I think in general, we don't know what we're doing enough to have, you know, drills going down five miles underwater, far offshore um, to, to, to pull out this oil. It's a, it's a desperate move. It's an act of desperation. Um, I'm still angry about it. I'm still really upset. Um, that I this can tell, was yeah. taken care of, supposedly. Yeah. Why do you think the Drifters Project has garnered so much attention? I think I, I have a particular interest in the, the combination of art, science, and activism. It's a, it's a sort of triangulation that involves both sides of the mind and the heart, the heart of the activist. And so I think that is also something that is a necessary combination. We will need this for all aspects of humanity moving forward. So I've asked other podcast guests if they thought art could make a difference. Clearly, you believe that art can make a statement. I wonder if you could offer some evidence of the kind of success your installations are having in shifting the narrative about plastic. Well, I really feel like, um, I really feel like artists 
our antenna. Um, artists have a kind of foresight in a way, I would say. Um, and maybe it's just any intuitive person, but I, I, I see it manifested in artists because that's what artists do. We, we, we pick up, you know, the kind of, you know, tap into the energies that are happening around us and oftentimes um, can see things that are coming, you know, perhaps before other people. I don't know why. I just think it's happened over the, the course of art history. We have many, many examples. Um, in my case, uh, it was, I think, the way that people um, respond to, to seeing my uh, work in exhibitions or working with me on beaches if I'm doing a kind of forensic beach cleaning training um, or if I give a lecture or a talk um, people come up to me with tears in their eyes and say that they have never thought about plastic in this way and they're uh, they're making changes the minute they leave. And, and so I know I've reached something, and I think it's partly because I, I didn't by myself make this material. I'm almost just gathering it and showing it back to you, and I'm showing it to you in a, a way that also carries symbolic meaning. And... Um, I think that's what artists can do. They can, they can combine factual things like an object that has, you know, um, a location that it was found. It has chemical traces on the surface you can study, but it's also something that has passed through the hands of people that they're familiar with intimately, combs, toothbrushes, all kinds of objects we use every day. And, and then it also has this emotional resonance, um, which is that you can tell that this thing is not um, just something an artist made. I, you know, it was made by commerce. It was made by a factory. And then it was remade by the, the actions that were taken on it as it traveled around the world. And then I, I guess it was remade a third time by my uh, actions of, of gathering it and putting it back into uh, social space for display and contemplation and discussion. What kind of advice can you give uh, listeners who want to express their concern for the ocean and encourage others to take action to protect the ocean and her creatures? Use whatever tools you have at your, at your ready, um, whatever's in your toolbox. If you are a good speaker, speak about it. If you can make art, make art about it. If you simply want to make changes as a, a, a human being in their daily life, I think the very first thing you can do is just to s slow down and minimize your purchase and interaction with particularly single-use disposable plastic, but um, any kind of plastic that you, that you can avoid if you have uh, an option, okay? So not everyone does, you know, it, plastic in addition to all the environmental issues is of course a social justice issue and and they're not the same kinds of uh things available to everyone on earth and often the poorest communities have the least choice in that matter and their food might most likely be wrapped in plastic but if you have a choice don't buy into that system you know we know it's a political issue we know it's a human health issue we know it's an environmental health issue and i think it's actually for me, it's at the center of every one of the major problems that we are facing on the earth right now. Um, 
It's at the center of climate change. Well, I'm extremely grateful that you took the time out of your busy schedule to talk with me. It's been inspiring to hear you describe the evolution of your plastic project. I've been speaking with Pam Longabardi for the Women Mind the Water podcast series. You can follow her work through her blog, driftersproject.net. And if you are interested in the Ocean Gleaners project, go to oceangleaners.net to learn more. The Women Mind the Water podcast series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on the Women Mind the Water website, on iTunes, and Spotify. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the song Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson. Thank you for listening.